Okay, welcome to Paradox of Civility. I'm your host, Roy Koshi, and on the phone with me right now is D.K. Wilson. You may remember D.K. Wilson from episode 32, uh, titled Racism in Sports and Beyond, slash People of Color Have Stockholm Syndrome, slash Real Right-Wingism. Uh, you're welcome to go listen to that episode if you want to, but it's not required. Um, so, D.K., welcome back to Paradox of Civility. Yeah, thank you for having me, Roy. Hey, no problem. Um, so, D.K. Wilson, um, you, uh, as we, you know, uh, indicated on our previous uh, conversation that we had in 2013, um, you are a writer, musician, um, and you've been a tennis pro and a tennis coach. Um, is there anything I'm missing? Or maybe, you know what, D.K., how about you give me your little brief bio? Well, um, I guess in addition to all that you said, uh was an, uh, an anthropology major in college with uh, Mesoamerican archaeology focus um, and worked on a couple of important projects in Belize um, and then later on professionally worked for archaeological consulting firms, which is basically sal- sal- salvage archaeology where... Uh, someone has been contracted or someone has contracted to build a, a structure, whether it's a house or a high rise or a, a corporate built office. And so we come in to make sure there's nothing that needs to, no archaeology that needs to be protected. And so, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's about the only other thing I can add. Okay. Okay. Well, um, and again, you know, in episode 32 of this podcast, you know, we covered a lot of your work and how it intersects with uh, race and racism. Uh, DK, you've written uh, quite bluntly and quite controversially at times on uh, racism, race. Uh, and the last time we talked, you were, uh, you know, uh, you had been writing, you had been kind of a sports writer um, who had I think like you had sort of like ended a sports career or sports writing career a little bit at that time. Am I correct about that? Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. Are. Yeah. And um, without like recounting that entire conversation, because people can just go listen to that. Um, are you currently writing anything right now? Uh, well, I kind of, am, I, I write for myself. I, I, that's about it. I don't write anything for the public right now. Okay. Yeah. Right so, on. Yeah. Okay, cool. And, um, you know, and one of the reasons I wanted to have you on to interview you was um, to just sort of like not, again, like not recount our entire episode that we had in 2013, our entire interview back then, but to sort of like um, as somebody who has followed uh, and studied uh, not only anthropology, but, you know, uh, race and racism, and we had a lot of interesting points in our conversation last time. Uh, having you back on to sort of have you reflect on, uh, your work, uh, really actually, I, I just want to hear what your perspective is about the Donald Trump current era that we're living in, which is a theme of this podcast. Um, I guess I'll start with this, um, cause I, this is a question for me and I just, my own observation. Do you think we're at a period right now where racism is actually just getting worse? Um, actually, I, I, I feel that it's just more open. Yeah. Um, it's always been bad. Right. I mean, it, it never it never hasn't been in the U.S. 
um, or Europe for that matter, but but certainly here. Um, you know, the, the people who first came over to the United States came over here for uh, to expand their empire, particularly economically. And, you know, ships landed in Jamestown in 1609, those ships that did, and they immediately, pretty much immediately embarked on a four-year war that turned into a 40-year war with the local um, indigenous people yeah. over tobacco fields. And that was the first commodity from the U.S. or from America taken back to Europe, to England specifically, and then spread throughout Europe. <clears throat> so, and and... Everything's been about oppressing people of the the indigenous people here, and and if you look at kind of Western culture, um, what what is termed you know European American Western, which is comprises the core of Western culture, wherever they have gone, war and oppression has followed. Right. You know, and the raping of countries and people. So you know, it, it's always been that way. Um, you know, you look at after the Civil War, there were 160 lynchings of of black slash indigenous people in three years. Three yeah. years, and 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 those, and and it's funny because people talk about the lynchings during the quote Jim Crow era, but that's rarely talked about. That right after this, right after you know Civil War, Emancipation Proclamation, all this great stuff, and and Reconstruction, you know, 160 people were that are known, you know, were lynched, yeah. you know. So, you know, has it, I mean, geez, you know, now we have mass shootings instead yeah. of lynchings. And we right. still probably have lynchings. You know what I mean? It's, it's so, um, it's, it's kind of, I, I think it's actually a good thing because you see people who have, are said to be liberals and, and the word liberal is a certain meaning that is not really what we think it is. But, um, those people are, are coming out to be turning out, a lot of them are turning out to be as racist as, you know, the, the people they term alt-right nationalists, whatever, white extremists, you know. Yeah. So, so you know, I, I think it's, yeah, it's <clears throat> it's more open. So um, when you say uh, that liberal has been misdefined um, or kind of like ill-defined in our sort of modern era, can you tell me a little bit more about that? Well, Liberalism has nothing to do with with race as much, except in the in the way of tolerance. Yeah. And you know, if you think of what that what tolerance means, I, I can we can tolerate each other and hate each other. Right. <laughs> you know, it's not it has nothing to do with respecting other people. You know, and and uh, you know it, it it's. And you're saying like the original uh, definition of liberalism has nothing to do with respecting. It's just it's just tolerance. Well, yes, yeah, when it is concerned with race, yes, yeah. you know, and and it's it's uh, more towards, I, I guess, economic liberalism would be uh, helping more people, you know, uh, government funding of of peoples of, of poor people or whatever, you know, uh, not necessarily Medicare for all or something, but you know, Medicare with the with a private option, if you want, what you know, where the government helps you, you know, uh, and whether government subsidized programs, um, liberalism for society, um, we 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 had that. I, I, gosh, we haven't had a, a liberal president, goodness, maybe since 
Kennedy, I guess he was leaning that John F was leaning that way, but really right. not, not since then. Certainly everyone's been pretty conservative if you think about it. So, um, you know, I, uh, it, it, as far as our conversation is concerned, I, I you know just like to confine it there if it's okay. Liberalism has nothing to do with it, it has nothing to do with not being a racist. Let's put it like that. Right, right, right. Okay, yeah, yeah. So it has nothing to do with not being a racist, um, but it sort of has been co-opted, and people have sort of adopted uh, this label and labeled themselves liberal to sort of like. There's almost like a virtuous uh, uh, aspect to it, I think, where <laughs> right, right. it's sort of like I'm one of the good guys. I'm not one of these dirtbags who's openly racist, you know, and so it kind of is it has especially with white liberals. I feel like it's been an interesting um, it's been an interesting uh, I, I've been sort of becoming more aware of this as I've gotten older as a person of color myself. Um, mm-hmm. It's hard to talk to white liberals about race and it's hard to kind of like have any sort of genuine connection sometimes between different races because like because it's hard for me to like sort of offer that uh that sort of aspect of my personality and that part Mm -hmm. of my journey because i either get like sort of like people being like i'm so sorry and patting you on the (laughs) fucking head you know or it's like Or it's like, you know, kind of this, uh, well, I just let you know, I'm not like that. And that's not us. And that's not me. And you're just sort of like, okay, wasn't accusing you of that. Um, and so there's no genuine grappling with like a white liberal about this stuff. And I've said this in the past, half joking, half not. Um, so the hate project, the show that you appeared on, um, you know, where I talked to actual racists, um, I've sometimes said this, uh, that it's sometimes a little bit easier to talk to just a straight up white racist than a white liberal about race relations. Yeah. Yeah. Because at least they've sort of grappled with, they've come to an evil conclusion, but, uh, mm-hmm. they sort of at least thought about this stuff and interrogated themselves and yep. I guess found the black coal that's in their heart, but you know, at least they, there is some sort of like delving into themselves about what race means to them. Uh, and then often like people of color, uh, we have to do that often. Some of us better than others. I'll, I'll admit right. that. Some of us more than others. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, we, we wake up with ours every day. So, right. Right. <laughs> of course. No, there's no escaping the, the skin of our skin color. So, which is, which is odd in itself, but that's another yeah. story. Well, um, yeah. Oh Yeah. Yeah, I guess like my 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 follow up question then, like you're mentioning, like that you know we haven't had a liberal quote unquote president since JFK. Um, Donald Trump, number forty five, is obviously following the first black president, uh, Barack Obama, and um, you know again, like I think people, myself included, even like we sort of expected this sort of like evolution in America, this sort of progression because we had our first black president, and there was certainly like more of a backlash to that. And then also the uh, the Obama administration, um, while obviously not as evil as the Trump administration is, I mean, the, the Obama administration did a lot to maintain the status quo, maintain American period, maintain American imperialism. So, I mean, he wasn't necessarily a liberal uh, president either. So that like just yeah. having just having like a black president didn't solve anything. Certainly. Well, no, no. I, I, a couple of things for me really shaped the Obama presidency. Um, when when he named 
Rahm Emanuel as his chief of staff. Uh, when, in Sports on My Mind, my blog at that time, I I may have been one of the very first people to go to to sound an alarm because I knew who Rahm Emanuel know who he is. I knew what he stood for, and it's not not what black people certainly thought <laughs> that yeah. Barack Obama might be. And I thought that and, and the interests that he serves are, I you know. Uh, troublesome. Let's put it like that. Yeah, and we see we see that with with you know with what he's done in Chicago. But then uh, when he became when he after he was inaugurated, his first act was actually to try to figure out how to get out of the Middle East. Yeah. Okay. And he sent Joe Biden to the Pentagon as his uh, go between because Biden had dealt with these people. You know, he's a senior member of, of Senate, et cetera. Yeah. And so he he sent him to to talk with these people, and strangely enough, uh, rather than and Syria was his focus at the time. His first thought was to get out of Syria, and then it, as it, as uh, if that was okay, if that worked out well, then expand that out. Um, and in the midst of those talks that Biden was having, uh, Bob Woodward. So uh, the information was leaked mm-hmm. to Bob Woodward, and Bob Woodward wrote a scathing article after article about Barack Obama wanting to pull out of the Middle East, right? And scuttled scuttled the entire his his efforts. And these were not public; this was private. He, he didn't want to uh, publicize this or anything. He wanted to to until uh, he figured out how to do this with the with the military. And, uh, you know, uh, Bob Woodward, who's supposed to, you know, we, he's so held, he's held in such high esteem as, you know, the Pentagon and all our Pentagon, uh, Watergate, all that stuff. You know, they, the guy's a fraud. He's, he's, and he's a known CIA asset. And, oh, really? Uh, oh, yeah. And having, you know, the guy has a yacht, uh, gosh, is it in, Potomac? No, no, I don't, I can't remember. But anyway, it's in the, in the, in the DC area. And he's known for his parties with, you know, government officials, Pentagon officials, CIA people, blah, 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 blah. And, uh, yeah, he, he's the person that, you know, that, that wrote those articles. Now, the only question was, is who leaked that? And I have always felt it was Joe Biden. Um, Joe Biden has said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm proof, I'm paraphrasing a bit. I'm proof that you can be Jewish and not be or be a Catholic and be Jewish too, or something like that. It's like whoa, 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 you know, yeah, <laughs> you know. And so, so his interest was Israel, and you know, um, I, I'm pretty sure that it was Biden. I, I don't, I don't see any other culprits really. And Biden is a is you mean known the, to be who leaked it to Mossberg? Yes, and and because Biden's also known to be. Uh, connected with the heavily connected with the CIA. So, I, I mean, you know, it's, it's kind of hard for any politician of any stature kind of not to be in some form or fashion, but, but he's been more directly involved than other people have. So, so yeah, he, Barack Obama was surrounded by snakes, whether he, he knew it or whether he didn't, that's what was happening. And, and from, you know, when, when you get smacked like that, it kind of tells you what you need to do if you want to live. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I mean, 
Yeah, I guess that was my next question, and I think you're kind of hinting at this. I mean, was Barack Obama just sort of like not a true believer in like the hope and change, or was he just kind of overpowered by his own, in many ways, his own party uh, to just sort of maintain uh, the status quo? Uh, what do you think about that? Well, he, he definitely he was being reined in from the beginning. I, right. I, feel that Barack Obama would have been a progressive president. Um, you know, the, the, the health care that the Affordable Health Care Act was so watered down. Oh, yeah. And that was, you know, and that was literally to appease Mitch McConnell, you know, and and just to get something passed. What what he wanted was much more sweet. It would have been would have been Medicaid, Medicare. Anyone can have that if that's what they choose. And if you want private health care, you got it. That's up to you. And and instead, you know, we've got this nonsense that we got. And, uh, you know, that was – we know that that was about protecting insurance companies, oh, et cetera. Yeah. But uh, that – I mean, that – you can kind of see his original – some of his original thoughts encapsulated in the in the that initial want to get out of this the middle east and his initial health care act what he wanted for a health care act as opposed to what we got what he ended up with um and i think a lot of his actions in between uh, you know the drones all, all that stuff it was almost to me it was for show it was to show how how down he was with the establishment and I, I think his goal became let me keep myself and my family alive. Let, let, mm. let me do that, you know, rather than I, – I think he came in with lofty ideas, uh, some naivete because he was a junior senator, you know, and I don't think he was – I don't know how savvy he was right? as far as, you know, uh, Beltway politics is concerned. And, uh, you know, the people around him took advantage of that, in my estimation. And I, I'm not saying Barack Obama's a saint or anything like that, but I don't think he'll ever truly know what he was yeah. because of what happened, what shaped his presidency. Yeah, you're right. Um, uh, why do you think that, like, this sort of desire for Democrats to reach across the aisle to Republicans and to appease the Republicans constantly. What do you, where do you think that comes from? Because that's so frustrating to me. Um, I mean, I know like a lot. I know a lot of that's just like that. They both both parties serve similar interests. Like they take military contract money. They take you know Wall Street money, obviously, and um, even because you see this right now with the Democrats, like they kind of punch left constantly. Like the people who regret <laughs> the stuff. They're more they're more hostile to the progressives in their party than they are to the Republicans. Like, I, I just I just want your opinion about that. Like, what do you think the Democrat? Why do you think like what's this appeasement of Mitch McConnell in regards to health care? Like, what it's a constant problem. What is that? Uh, you said it. I mean, they, they it's it's I, I would say it's the hammer and the feather. And yeah. Mitch McConnell side, all that stuff. There's the hammer and the the, the quote uh, Democrats are the feather, and you know. They'll, they'll hit you softly with the feather, but accomplish the same thing. The other side doesn't care. They'll have me go over the head into submission. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the, thought that, the thought that Donald Trump cannot be impeached or, or that an, an, an inquiry can't, can't be started is insane. I mean, it's, yeah. it's such, you know, obvious lies. And, and when I watch the news, I, you know, knowing Fox's BS and CNN's tripe, uh, well, they all are, but I watch MSNBC because they're allegedly uh, they allege to be more 
forward thinking. As a matter of fact, was it during the 2016 election? I think their slogan was lean forward. <laughs> oh, yeah. Something like that. Yeah. So, so I, I watched it. They tell, they inform me at least quite a bit as, as to what the, the goal is. And, uh, you know, they see, they laud people like Bill Crystal, you know, like <laughs> they put him on the shows. Like, oh, yeah. You know, you know, John Podhoritz at, at commentary and, uh, what's the other guy? Noah Rothman. From the, you know, and then, then you have their, their, their hosts, uh, but Stephanie Rule is one in the morning, the business, business, uh, expert. Yeah. But, yeah. but, you know, and, and it's just like, my goodness. I mean, if they aren't, you can tell they're being pimped, you know, <laughs> it's like, yeah, you know, but, but they, they try to couch it in this, like they're exposing this and that and about Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell, all these people, you know, uh, from, uh, they pose, posit themselves as if they're the opposite of say Fox when they really aren't. Oh, they're not at all. So, you know, it's, 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 those people are playing a game and it's, it's what's really, sad to me, I guess, it, it would be funny if it weren't really happening, is that people don't seem to understand that. Right. That yeah. You know, it's easier to take sides and think for 10 minutes and say, whoa, we're all getting screwed. This is this is some BS here, you know? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, that's, that's exactly right. I mean, yeah, MSNBC just, it's like sort of like, it's just another part of like this ecosystem that like, um, is giving us just a lot of noise with nothing behind it at all. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, and you're absolutely right. It's like, it's just theater, nothing more. Um, and I guess like, I guess like that's, I think you're right. Like that sort of like, cause it's a question that like, I'm sure many, uh, left people have is like, why do the Republicans always get their way? And, uh, um, the Democrats are always just sort of like, uh, you know, uh, one example would that be, would, would be the Supreme Court. Uh, you know, it's like, uh, what's his name? Merrick Garland or something. Yeah, Merrick Garland. Right, uh, right. Denied a hearing even, denied, uh, any of that. And then, um, but Mitch McConnell has indicated that, um, should somebody, should a vacancy be available, uh, they're gonna go forth. And so, Right, right. Uh, that, that should have gone. They should have. That should have been in the court system immediately. Oh yeah. As soon as he did. As soon as he did that, and, and McConnell should have should have been censured at first and impeached if possible, if, if necessary. You know, and they did nothing. Ah, jeez. And and that kind of tells me too that that the goal is to uh, have a have a what's what would be under the. Let's see. On the surface, a democratic republic, et cetera, but underneath that, a totalitarian government, because that's where we're headed. You know, yeah. it, it's pretty obvious, and people are sleeping at, asleep at the wheel on that too. So, um, or a lot of people are. I mean, do you think that the Democrats is just easier for them to not fight, or they just maybe, sure. or part of them sure just you, wants that? You know. Oh, they do want that, and but they're just. They're playing a role. Look, I, it, I, I've come to feel that the, the, if you look at it in, a, in sports terms, the, the playbook is pretty thin. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they might run a few different formations, but the plays, it's the same plays over and over and over and over. And it's just like, uh, at what point do you do people actually see this? Because right. they, they, they repeat 
little different window dressing, but the actions have been repeated for, you know, like I said, you know, Kennedy may have turned out to be a liberal or a liberal progressive president. I think Robert Kennedy certainly would have been. You see what happened to him. Yeah. You know, and uh, Lyndon Johnson certainly wasn't, you know, Nixon, blah, 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 and on, on to, I mean, people say, oh, Jimmy Carter, he was naval intelligence. Get out of here. <laughs> it's like, come on. Right. You know? So, so, you know, uh, Gerald Ford was the bumbling president, but he's one of the most conservative people in, in you know, in, in America at the time, you know, in any meaningful position. And, and we can just, you know, Bill Clinton, okay, he played a saxophone and three strikes, you know. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, you know, so. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and a lot of the deregulation of uh, industries. Exactly, yes. On yes. his watch, yeah. That, I mean, like a lot of his yeah. policies led to like the Wall Street collapse in 2008. Uh, look, look at look at Waco. Christ. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, people, that is, you know, people, don't, they don't forget, but they don't really, that's not in the forefront too much, you know. I mean, he, he had people bombed, basically, you know, and, and uh, I, I guess... You know, you go back a few years to the Move organization in Philadelphia. They got they bombed a, a city block in Philadelphia. That was before Clinton, but still, that you know, yeah. I mean, I mean, <laughs> and and so Bill Clinton didn't come in and, and have some peaceful non stuff going on. He basically bombed Waco, or you know, so yeah. Uh, yeah there's no so, there's no liberalism or progressivism in all, any of that. So I guess like uh, this will be transition to this like what do you think about the 2020 election is there any hope no no <laughs> no, no, no no i i mean you know i it, it's funny again watching msnbc and this push for joe biden to be the you know the person who runs against oh, God. donald trump i mean the, the besides being you know real i mean we're talking about somebody that's like going to be 78 or something or 76 by the time he if he won by the time he's inaugurated what really right yeah you know you know when when do we not have some old person now man or woman it doesn't matter you know when when do we not have that number one that, right that would signal some maybe change um when do we have someone who as much as i i am on i haven't really figured quite figured her out yet, but uh, uh, oh my God, I'm spacing on her name. What's the, the Pocahontas? Oh, Elizabeth uh, Warren. Elizabeth Warren. Right? I didn't mean as as Trump calls her. Yeah. Um, sure. Yeah. You know, I, someone. You know, she actually talks about what she's going to do. So why not have her as president? And when she doesn't do what she said she was going to do, let's hold her. You know, hold her above the candle, hold her above the flame, and and say, hey. You know, I, 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 with that, I, I think people in the United States um, mm-hmm. are are so comfortable, and they they we willingly cede authority. Oh yeah, on a consistent basis, and and cede to authority and cede our personal authority to others, and because yeah. they're you know we label them as experts and we're living the lives, and these people are making decisions and and they're. Financially, uh, morally, ideologically divorced from us for the most part, really. Um, and we, we take on their attributes again because we ceded authority to them, so we must do that, you know, rather than, uh, have some accountability and force them to do our will. Right. And, and so we're, we're getting what we deserve, really. 
Yeah, um, I, I totally um, uh, I agree with you on that. It's all become sort of like like everything has been flattened into like this sort of shallow uh, ice chip or something. I don't know. I don't know if that's a good. <laughs> I'm just trying. I'm making up like a fucking. Uh, <laughs> um, well, I mean, like it's just sort of like it's like entertainment, politics, uh, social media, all media. It's all just being flattened into one thing. So you have like. Like, you know, people going back and forth with the actual president of the United States on Twitter, uh, right. going back and forth with politicians on Twitter. Um, and it's like people do get hung up on, like, what somebody represents, like, um, like identity politics, for instance. Um, yeah. And I'd like to hear your take on this, because, like, I'm not like if you look at, like, what identity politics should mean. And I try to, like, argue this. It's like, yes, any policy, any sort of um action uh affects different groups more so than your sort of like cishet white male uh demographic uh so it's not a bad thing but unfortunately it's just been sort of like you know co-opted into like uh so-and-so like brings hot sauce and fucking so-and-so like you know we're we're checking we're check marking we're checking all the boxes of like well this person is this this and this so you know, you got to support them. Uh, and I think we right. kind of learned that with, like, Obama, with Barack Obama a little bit of like, yes, first black president. Of course, that's historic, but it doesn't necessarily mean much beyond that if all you do is maintain uh, kind of like a white supremacist imperialistic status quo. Exactly. Um, and, and people forget that Barack Obama is, is, was an, is an actual African-American. Yeah. Okay, he's not a Jesse Jackson African American. He's a real, you know, his dad was African, his mother's white, European, yeah. American. You know, his grandfather's British. I mean, dude, you know, it's right. Because I always ask, you know, I've always asked, would they would they elect an actual black president, an American black president with two black parents, blah blah blah? Uh, nah, no. Interesting. <laughs> no. That's really interesting, actually. Yeah. Um, Oh yeah, that's I haven't it's it's that's something so obvious but I hadn't thought about that. Um and so uh uh yeah, it's, that's really a fascinating point actually. Um yeah, so I guess like what do you think uh like if we if we can't sort of find a change in electoral politics um to start undoing systemic and historical racism or sexism or, you know, any sort of oppression. Is there anything we can do in your opinion? Um, uh, yes and no. Uh, again, it's, it's about personal accountability, um, becoming informed as to how this, uh, how politics actually work, what they're actually for, um, to, to understand that, that, uh, Alan Dulles, he said that the CIA, the goal of the CIA was to gain unfettered access to the world's natural resources for the United States. Now that, that tells you <laughs> what yeah. this, you know, corporate entity the United States is. You know, so, so, I, you know, people need to understand that and really look around and see when their cities being Ruined by, you know, real estate, uh, people who come in and just, just tear a city apart, its fabric apart and build nasty buildings, you know, for condos, for, for corporations, whatever, 
people need to understand what you know that that behind it, there's money being exchanged to get that to happen. There's there's laws right. being broken. You know, there's all kinds of you know invest in your local community. However, um, that said, those those intelligence agencies make it really difficult to do that because at a moment's notice, as soon as soon as uh, something begins to build, they're going to infiltrate it. Period. Right. And, and and you know that's that's the you know can we can we detect the apparatus as it's moving against us? Yeah. That you know that's the difficult part in in, in my estimation, and and I've seen that a few times in a few cities that I've lived in, and uh, you know I saw it here in Austin. Um, in a couple ways, when there was the, uh, uh, what was it, the tea party and the, what was the other side? Uh, geez. Occupy? Uh, Occupy, right. Um, yeah. you know, people started to realize that, like, wait a minute, we have a lot in common, you know, let's, you know, let's, maybe we should get together. And then there's a, a bookstore here that, uh, I used to go to, a con- conspiracy bookstore. Yeah, it was called, but a lot of different people across the board, a lot of different people, ethnically, racially, uh, ideologically, would come to this bookstore to get books. And people started talking, you know, and, and people started finding commonalities rather than, than differences. Um, and there was a, a, a want to, to take the bookstore and take it and uh, purchase or have the the owner wanted to purchase a cafe mm-hmm. or purchase a, a, a house or building and and start a cafe a community cafe where they had regular meetings of people and uh, he had guests come and speak as it was but but expand on that and expand this into a community center basically that was a cafe. And man, uh, within six months, he didn't have a store. Really, didn't have. It, it took about a year and a half for the store to close, the bookstore to close. He tried to hang on financially, but he was ruined. He got ruined. All of a sudden, his books weren't coming in on time. Uh, you know, people would order books and they wouldn't come. They were supposed to be there the next week. They come three months later. You know, and, and you could see that that they were cracking this guy. You know, and they finally. Cracked him until he folded. Had to fold, you know. Um, you think that it was behind cracking? Uh, that, I mean, that that's you know that's FBI type stuff, you know. Right. That, that's what they do, you know. Um, they have some and 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 uh, there was a guy who uh, during one of the occupied demonstrations who it turned out was a he was a known FBI agent or asset. I should say, yeah. And uh, uh, his, his his girlfriend is pretty prominent. Her name's Cassandra Fairbanks. She's prominent on Twitter. Oh, I know who that is. Yeah, she's like an yeah. old darling there, isn't she? Yeah, she was a, a former uh, alleged Obama person, and blah blah. blah. You know, it, it, but it's funny, you know, that that she does. Uh, took pictures of herself with her boyfriend who was a known FBI asset, you know? So it's like, you know, and, and boasted about them traveling to X place for this Occupy meeting or demonstration that they're going to go infiltrate. And it's like, what are you serious? You know, and, and you know, the, my, my thought was like, wait a minute, you have a small child. How are you able to do this without 
anybody getting at you to, at all. And it's because she was protected. She was, she was an FBI, she is an FBI asset in my estimation. Okay. She still is, you know. And I mean, and so that's, that's what happens. That's what happens. You know, and, and so that, that's the difficult part to me. Can, can you do that? Can you form a community and sustain it? And, and have people be aware enough to be able to spot those people who are sent out to destroy you. Right. Yeah, it's like, uh, cons- what was the name of the bookstore? It was called Conspiracy Books? No, it's called Last Gasp. Last Gasp, that's right. That sounds familiar, yeah. I lived in Austin in the late 90s. How long has that bookstore been around? Uh, I I don't know when Harlan started it. I, I really don't know. It, it's been around since at least 2001. Okay. 2000. Yeah. So it, it, he might have started it in the late 99, 98. Okay, yeah. It does sound familiar. Because um, there were, like, Austin did have some smaller bookstores that kind of trafficked in, like, you know, uh, more uh, esoteric conspiracy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Most, most, almost all of them are closed. Yeah. Well, maybe, uh, maybe all of them actually, but right. You know, and and you know the the fact that one percent of California's population has moved to Texas, you know, and much of them, many of those people to Austin. Yeah. Uh, you know, Austin's pretty different now. Right. 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 You know, in a, in a way, in a bad way. It's no longer weird. That's all. Well, it's weird, but it's weird in the worst <laughs> way. You know. It's a shame. And so the Californians, you think you attribute that to like the California uh, migration? Uh, is it like because uh, like California, like everyone would say, like you got the Bay Area and Los Angeles? Yeah, it's tech companies. That's that's what it is. Oh, okay, that's your things. Yeah, yeah, and tech so, companies. Like that, the same things happened to San Francisco too. That sort of quirky, um, exactly. place that celebrated like diversity and oddness is now kind of this tech nightmare. Um, yep. that was happening in Austin for a while. That was a slow, I mean, when I was there, yeah, it was. it's been, it's been like that for a while. And I guess like they finally won or something. Yeah. Uh, they had, well, there's a, in the eighties, they had a real estate bust and, and so everything was cheap. But, uh, from that bust, they, that, I think that was done purposely for real estate developers to get land cheaply to, because sure. they were planning what's happening right now. And this is the payoff. What's happening now is the payoff. Um, I lived in San Francisco and when it was quirky, you know, and, and cool, you know, when, you know, you could walk in, well, I lived on Haight Street, so um, yeah. I could go up the street to a coffee shop uh, the morning after a gig and, and there'd be Kirk Hammett of, from Metallica sitting in the coffee shop, you know, I mean, I mean, it was like that, everybody knew each other, you know, and I mean, as far as community, the artist community, musician community, and we were all cool with each other, you know, and that's gone, man. That's gone. Yeah. That 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 I could that I could live on Hate Street and coach tennis by day and play music by night. Uh, that's crazy. There's no way I could afford to do that today. Oh no, no. <laughs> you know. And speaking of all these cities like like San Francisco and and like it would include New York as well and um, these liberal yeah. you mentioned Rahm Rahm Emanuel is the mayor of Chicago. Like I had a conversation with Roman. Reimer, who on this on this podcast, Paradox of Civilities, episode twenty two, like we talked about like how every so called liberal progressive city is like this weird police state that's sort of yep. built to real estate interests. And um 
it's it's a strange thing because like in your day to day life, if you're you know if you're not homeless or whatever, if you're of a certain income, it's not so bad. It doesn't fall the it doesn't fall on your neck as much, you know. And we can step over homeless people, and yeah. and you know just sort of like go about our lives. Um, and so I, yeah, it's it's very hard because every time I think that there's progress being made, like you know that people are being more aware of this uh, stuff, and there's some more progressive people making their way into government, it does sort of feel disheartening that like, well, there's a system. And there are certain like levers that could be pulled to quash all this stuff anytime, yeah. you know, yeah. you mentioned well, like, I mean, just, just think about that. I mean, you know, in, in, in thinking about that, do you feel like a Gavin Newsom comes in to office yeah. and, uh, you know, he, he's an alleged progressive, but then the first thing he does is seek to rebuild the city or, you know, build it better and tech companies. Okay. And with tech companies comes, you know, real estate hikes and, Lower middle class people, poor people are out. And so how do you mitigate those people? With the police. (laughs) Yeah. And and there you go. The ball is rolling, you know. And and so I can't, again, if the playbook is as thin as I think it is, well, we do see that repeated, just like you said, you know. So that must be a, 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 that's a goal. That's a way, that's a play that they run all the time. And it works. It's, you know, it's always worked. Right, and I think, like, we've been educated to, like, sort of go along with it and to, like, uh, uh, sort of not question it. Um, I don't know if you ever read Thomas Pinchon. Um, I've read Pinchon, yeah. I've read Pinchon, yeah. I just remember, like, there's this passage in the book Vineland where uh, I can't, I, I'm, I'm not going to do it justice, but he just talks about, like, how uh, at one point, you know, cops were all over TV. He presented as a good guy, and so we were made to root for the the cops uh, as a force of good and uh, like you know not understanding that like that was not really like a protect and serve uh, institution ever really it was about guarding it was either slave patrols or guarding rich people's property basically well that's how the police began yeah they were if you look at google images and the bad first badges police badges said slave patrol yeah (laughs) so yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and so it's it's just an it, it's uh it is hard to sort of like uh, grapple with all this stuff. Uh, so, like speaking of like government and what they do to quash any sort of progress, I just want to revisit something that you talked about last time we spoke, um, which was uh, your father was in government. Um, yeah. And can you remind me what uh, your father did? Uh, he was. As far as I have been able to piece together, he was naval intelligence. Uh, he, I, I fairly recently found out that he entered the Navy at 17, which I found very interesting because his father was doing something, had done something special too. Um, I don't really know what. But uh, uh, he worked at uh, the Office of Economic Opportunity, which has just come into public life for something. Very recently, I don't, I'm not sure what it is. Um, let's see. I guess he started at Health Education Welfare. Both OEO and HEW were known uh, black black budget uh, where, where money would go to die and never be seen again. Uh, drug running stuff and all kinds of uh, really budget projects. Yeah. yeah. Okay. 
So like these, and, uh, these are, you're saying like these agencies ran drugs and stuff like that. Well, yeah, through the, the money was you know hidden there in, the, right. in those places. I see. And you know, I, I hear him on the phone at night, you know, talking about Rumsfeld, uh, Califano. Joseph Califano became the director of the CIA. We know who Rumsfeld is. Yeah. You know, and and you know him meeting with them, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, you know, he he. Did some dirty stuff, you know. I, I know that one time he told me he was going to a communication seminar in Virginia, and the location. My friend of mine and I decided to drive out and find out where that was. And we, what we ran into was a a, a forest with a fence around it. With uh, not uh, if you trespass, you will be met with terminal force or something like that. It's like, whoa, <laughs> wait a minute. Right. And we saw like. Three different roads heading back in the forest with no end. You never, you couldn't see the buildings. And uh, I did some research, and it turned out that some. Uh, I for I don't want to sound make it. It's such a trite term now, but there were some mind control things going on there. So you know, it's a, he was really into some dirty stuff. And what part of the country? Uh, outside of DC. Outside DC, okay. Or we lived in DC, but he was do all that. That stuff was in Virginia, but he worked. You know, he is a government guy. Yeah. U.S. federal government dude, you know. Right. And uh, you know, I, I, you know, what we had, uh, he he was sent on sabbatical to uh, California. We lived in Venice, and you know, we went to we moved to Venice from DC, and there's a house sitting there for us, you know, it, it wasn't like we had to look for a home, we drove to the house right across the street from the beach, uh, it was a, a duplex that had been unduplexed and made into a, actually a three-story house, and that was our house, it, I think it's still, I think it now is a duplex again, but, uh, you know, I could see the ocean from the front, and from the back I could see San Fernando Valley, it was right. beautiful, you know, it was right on the canals, all that stuff. You know, it's, and and he taught a class at USC in government economics, <laughs> some crap like that. And so yeah, it's just, it was crazy, man. It's like whoa, you know. Um, he was getting paid well, you know. And by the time we came back, he had money to buy it to seriously consider buying an island off the coast of Maine with a friend who whose family sailed out to. Uh, they had a boat, houseboat. They sailed from uh, Virginia all the way around to California to hang out for the year. Uh, my dad's best friend was out there, too, and lived in Marina del Rey in some exclusive singles condos, and he didn't work. So I think they were there to have my dad help my dad cool down from whatever he was doing, the stresses. Right. You know? So do you think that um, – well, two things. Um, do you think that your dad participated in this, like, in the hopes that, like, your life would be – uh, easier? Uh, it would be different. I don't. I don't know. Easier? Yeah. No, I, geez, it's hard to say. Right. Really, you know, if, if I had acted accordingly, you know, <laughs> I, sure. I would probably be pretty quote pretty easy. You know, um, and I I didn't go the way I was supposed to go. Let's just put it like that. Like he you went. Know, like you were supposed to go maybe into his line of work. Well, what, you know, lawyer, politics, whatever, you know, what, you know, something mainstream, even if I was a writer, mainstream, 
You yeah. Know? Um, or even if it was a, like, the nation or something, you know, whatever. But still, you know, uh, selling out, you know, so. Did he, did he ever express disappointment in, um, in you not going that route? No, no, he didn't get a chance to. He died the day after my 18th birthday, so. Right, right, okay. You know, um, you know, I, I, I don't know whether, I can't remember quite the interview, whether I had said this or not, but there's a point where I asked him, you know, why he sent me to the private schools he sent me to. And he said, I want you to understand the heart of the beast. That's right. You did, you did mention that in that episode. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And, and that's, that's, that's important. I've always carried that with me. Um, I, I never got to ask him what that meant, actually, but, uh, I took it, you know, and ran with it best I could. And I've always sought to understand what's behind the veils, you know. So understanding the heart of the beast, he didn't define that for you. What do you think that, or like, what was your experience with the heart of the beast, or what do you think he was trying to put you through? Um, I, I think he wanted me to understand how stuff really works. Right. You know, and and be able to be fully informed, you know, eyes open as I entered into something. Right. And uh, that 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 I learned that lesson the hard way, you know, but. Uh, um, you know, I, I maintained a level of naivete and blindness. It, it not it not just naivete, but blindness. You know, through the schools that I was going to, and then being in a quote privileged situation. Um, you know, it, it was at at one point it was easy to be all inclusive acting. You know, and and oh uh, yeah, you know everybody's you know kumbaya type stuff. And I, you know, it's just not. That's not the way things work, you know. Yeah. And uh, as, as you know, we talked, before, you know, before this, um, it is my feeling now that Western culture was built on lies and is maintained by lies, and that the only time the truth is told is in, in the maintenance of those lies. Right. Okay. Well, um, before we get to that, um, so whenever. Uh, um, you know, like in our last conversation, when you were talking about the private school, you were talking about like you know, people at the school being openly to you. And uh, you mentioned back then that the people, the kids who were like your fellow students who were racist and openly hostile to you, are people that were entering into uh, prestigious positions in their career. Um, so can you uh, are you able to name names and no uh, no I'm not gonna not gonna do that no problem okay um if you can't uh did you do you feel like they're still in that position those positions of prestige and power those people yeah some some of them are yeah some of them uh fewer and fewer as you it seems like a, quite a few of them have dropped out of any kind of public eye and you know certainly financially they're able to they were they didn't have to enter as public as it was, you know. Right. So, um, you know, so, but, uh, yeah, a few are. Okay, okay, yeah. Um, yeah, um, so, as a black, your, your father was a black man, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, did he ever face any sort of, like, uh, in, in regards to a lot of this work that uh, he was doing for the government, which kind of sounds like 
it's in line with uh, the other things that you were describing that government does in regards to like, um, you know, kind of maintaining a certain status quo. Did he ever face any that you know of? Uh, did he ever face any racism or did they just sort of say, well, you're playing ball, so you're OK with us and we'll take care of you back? Um, well, I don't know within the the offices in which he, which he worked, but certainly, you know, um, uh, we had incidents as a family, I guess you could say. Um, when we lived, we lived in St. Louis for about six months before we moved to D.C., yeah. And uh we were about three blocks from our house and got stopped by a policeman. He got slammed on the on the hood of the car or the yeah, and uh called all kinds of nigger and this and that and the other and asking this guy asking, What are you doing in this neighborhood? You don't belong here, what you know, and told him where we lived and everything showed him his license and all that good stuff. And the guy's acting like he didn't believe it, you know. <laughs> right. You know, and and, and it was funny because he didn't see me for whatever reason in the car. I was in the front seat, but he didn't notice. And when he saw me, he stopped, realizing, you know, oh, okay, he he thought he had a, a lone black dude that he was going to jack up, you know. Yeah. And uh, you know that kind of shook him a little bit. But that's the that's the only thing that I ever experienced with my father. Other than that, it was like. Geez, open doors everywhere, you know. Yeah. You know, we'd go to certain restaurants. Oh, Mr. Wilson, hey, come on in. Uh, you know, how, how's how's little David doing? <laughs> right, right, right. You know, it's like, whoa, you know, we're at pretty hoity-toity restaurants, you know. And so so I I didn't, you know, it was kind of hidden from me, you know. It right. Was hidden. And, and yet I experienced it in, where, in my immediate environment to the point where, you know, I asked him that question. Uh, um, you know, about the schools and stuff. So, you know, he's a country boy, you know, so, uh, yeah, you know, and, and my experiences at his family and my mother's family really, you know, white farmers, black farmers, white people, black, it, it didn't, you know, there wasn't any racism. There's people sitting on the porch playing guitars and country music and drinking tea and beers and yeah you know, talking and and so I, I you know I was pretty blind to it and, and you know yeah I, I think the only again the only unfortunate thing is that I held on to the notion that that's that's a possibility for communities I mean and I I you know in my heart of hearts I believe it is but right. it would take a sea change for for people to do that sea change for people of color especially black people to realize that it's really not in their best interest in our best interest to sell out it yeah. really isn't um and for white people to to give us the same credence they give to people who say hey what's wrong with me wanting to be around other white people <laughs> you know it's like i right. mean if you think Again, think about the history of this country, Wilmington, North Carolina. Let's see, they destroyed that town that was self-sufficient. Tulsa, we know that was bombed. You know, that's it, that's like, Black Wall Street, right? Is that Tulsa? Yeah, yeah, yeah that was a, a Black Wall Street. I mean, there's a, a point in time when black banks held more money than the other banks in the U.S. Yeah, you know, so and and uh, you know, it's a bell hooks of feminist. Yeah, who is who is black? You know, said that she didn't meet a black person until she went to college. 
Huh, what does she mean by that? I mean, I haven't read that, but I've... Well, she she lived in a black town, and, you know, and there was no issue, you know. Sure, it was segregated. Of course, it was. It was all black town. And the first time she ran into a white person at all was in, you know, it was in college. So, you know, but today, if you you say, you know, well, yeah, I'm pro-black, what? You know, of course I am. I'm black, what? You know, he's all you're racist. <laughs> sure, right. Well, that's and, and, and you know the thing is, I, I don't the 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 black populace in the U.S. generally is not built that way. You know, in my experience, we aren't like you know to hell with you. You know, if if you just like hip hop, you know, for white guys and women in hip hop, but guys actually really. Um, you know, the MC search type guys, if they were, if they showed that they were part of the culture, then they were welcomed. Right. You know, they weren't, oh, yeah, you're, but you're still like, get out of here. You know, <laughs> no, no, man, no. Yeah. But, you know, in reverse, you know, I mean, you have to pay fealty and forever if you want to be included at all. And even then, you're going to be subject it's to the like, where you aren't, you're not going to get any backup from those people. Yeah, from, like, black to white, you mean? Yeah, yeah. So, like, that's sort of, like, and what I've sort of noticed has been, uh, there's been a spectrum of that. Okay, so on the one, the, the extreme spectrum, you have, like, a Candace Owens type who basically, like, cavorts with, like, these MAGA, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, um, and she, even, like, to the point where she was, like, talking, like, trying to, like, highlight the good things that Hitler did, uh, which was. Yeah, Auntie insane. Tom, that, yeah. And then, like, you know, like, Larry Elder is, like, this long-time... Uh, oh, yeah, long-time coon, yeah. Yeah, and, and, like, David Clark and people like that. Sheriff David Clark. <laughs> yeah, former Sheriff David Clark, yeah. Oh, yeah, former Sheriff, that's right. And so <laughs> you have that, right? And so, like, we know, like, that's, like, just... That's probably just a mix of opportunism and self-loathing, but also people, oh, like... absolutely. People who are genuinely, like, white supremacists. Like, these are the house Negroes who would have been like uh uh like the Samuel Jackson character from Django Unchained basically. Uh, right, right. And, so like, and and look how they're held aloft, but as soon as they get in trouble, David Clark, what I don't see white people standing up for him. Oh no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what happened, you know? It was like the, people made this point about like, you know, like Eric Garner, uh Daniel Pantaleo finally got fired mm-hmm. for the Eric Garner for murdering somebody on camera. Well, yeah, and you know, there's yeah. a big, there's about a big outcry from the police union, but there was a shooting. Uh, I want to say like 2012 or 2013 in Brooklyn by an Asian police officer of a young black right. man. And, right. Fuck, I can't remember his name right now. I'd have to look that up. But uh, he got fired, and there was not that same outcry from the mainly white police union that there has been. No, no, the fraternal order didn't back him up at all. Yeah, and so it, it is really interesting, like how. Yeah. Uh, um, but, but it's funny how the Asian community came out in force. In oh, force. yeah. You know? Oh, dude. Like, they, you know, that was crazy. Yeah. Know? Well, and I, they let it happen. You know? <laughs> That's the thing. The white, you know, the white police force did not crack heads either. Oh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it seems like when non-white people play the game, like, they're sort of, uh, they those people can build a career out of it. But, like, once they well, up, like, then they're fucked. Well, look, 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 look at, look at the Latinos here and the Hispanic, Latino, whatever. Look, man, how do you get away with uh, 
being members of La Raza and La Reconquista and that have, and not be seen as, as uh, a danger by the FBI. An open danger. La Raza, the race, I mean, that's, that's some Nazi type shit. La yeah. Reconquista, that's the reconquest of this, you know, parts of this country. Then that's their goal. Are they not seen as a threat though? Uh, not like, not like quote, black identity extremists who are more dangerous than Al Qaeda and white supremacists put together. Sure, yeah, yeah. You know, come on, you know. I mean, the, the mayor of Los Angeles was, is, uh, what, uh, what Villa, what Villa, I forgot his name. But, you know, he's La Reconquista. And openly, you know, at, at one point. Right. And that's cool. That's cool. He's a mayor. <laughs> Let a black dude do that. You know, Barack Obama just just talked to a priest that 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 was uh, talked about black self sufficiency, etc. And they dragged him through the mud for that for eight years. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, well, I guess like with the Latino thing, like I mean, I guess like the reason I'm sort of like questioning that is because like we, you know, MS13 is like always conflated with like. Latino, uh, it's conflated with immigration, obviously, and a lot of this other stuff. When, it, when it's, it's not, it's a, you know, California prison system incarnation, really. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, and so, um, but you're kind of saying that, like, some more, like, Latino identity groups are not quite as much on the FBI radar as the black. No, it's a, they're, they're a preferred minority, man. For real. Really? And, and, and I mean, yeah, this is the whole Mexico thing. That's a that's a uh, smokescreen. That's I mean, think you know, you they're, about they're, 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 look, look. When Cesar Chavez was the the you know big liberal, you know, uh, or liberal pet, uh, what he established in his farmers' rights stuff and all that stuff for Latinos, um, he established what the Chicano community. Mm-hmm. And the Chicano community sees itself as white. Right. Okay. They, and, and, you know, uh, they, they don't like the Sorenos who are from the, the, the Mexicans from the South who are, who are, who might have come illegally, who come here and don't speak English, who are living in barrios, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And they will, they fight them constantly. Okay. You know, I, I I've lived in places where they come down and shoot at each other. Hmm. You know, and and it's and it's the Chicanos coming down to the <laughs> to the to the ghetto areas and trying to take over their drug trade or this and that. You know, uh, infiltrate their parties and you know all kinds of craziness, man. It's just crazy. You know, it's like what? And I I never saw any big hunt for them. You well, then, like, what do you make of what's happening at the border right now with family separation and people just being detained indefinitely in these sort of squalid conditions of Latino descent? What do you make of that? I, it, it's, I, I think it's just a front to make people appear to be more than they are in, on, in both directions, quote, I'm liberal, sure. progressive, quote, conservative, racist. You know, it just exacerbates a problem. And, and I, I've always wanted to ask a question. When was the last time you saw a black Mexican cross the border? Because the southern Mexico is full of black people. Um, I don't. I mean, I I, I don't know enough about that. Well, so I wouldn't yeah, say. But that. I mean, have, have you ever seen that 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 vision, that visage of a black of a black Mexican? 
No, I mean, because there is a history of that and, and of people that used to try to come from the south up through the central and north Mexico to the border, and they were getting killed, man, because they, that's not the face they want to show. Uh-huh. They're being killed by Mexico, you mean? Yeah, they don't get, they don't get to the border. They don't get to the border. Well, so I guess you know, I guess. there's, there, there's, you know, a few million black Mexicans who okay. look more, uh, black than they do Mexican. So, um, well, I mean, like the people coming to the border are not just from Mexico, though. They're coming from all over Central America. Well, Central America, America. yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, but like, sure. you don't, you don't think that this, I mean, I guess like I'm a little unclear about what you're saying about like what's happening at the border. Uh, you don't think it's a problem or you don't think it's a real thing or? No, no, no. I, I think, I, I think it's been, uh, it's contrived to a degree. It's been exacerbated to a degree. You know, um, I, I don't think it was an accident that caravans popped up as soon as, uh, we got, you know, within sniffing distance of the 2016 midterms you know that wasn't an accident man you know (laughs) thousands of people all of a sudden started walking from central america that's not i've never heard of that before Mm. you know mexico didn't stop it think about it for real let's let's be honest (laughs) not not like that not not like i mean we're talking about tens of thousands of people suddenly walking from central america to the mexican border Really? Well, but that's like, I mean, could that have been also just that as things have been deteriorating, it's just going to be more exponential that it deteriorates in those home countries? So, kind of like climate change. Why would Mexico let them in the country? I don't know. Well, that's that's the question you have to ask. You know, why why would, oh, sure, just come on through. You're going headed to the border. All of you, sure, go, hey. But, you know, there's no, no check, no, no, you know, Donald Trumpian or any U.S. check for criminals, et cetera. Hey, you got to get out of here. You're a, you know, nothing like that. You know, these people get, and get televised all the way up. Hmm. Well, yeah, there's, there's news media down there, certainly. Um, well, no, there's news media down there, but strangely, there's news media up here that's down there. Yeah. That, that's what's odd to me is that, is that when we saw, a lot of things at the border. We saw American press on the Mexico side of the border looking at the border with the Mexicans that had come, or the Central Americans who come up. And it's like, really, dude? Oh, wow. So that they let that. I mean, that's it. Wasn't you know Univision? No, it was you know MSNBC. Well, so I guess like what's what was what's the rationale for doing all this for like. You know, uh, not only like a caravan, but then like if you're saying that uh, the border uh, sort of like the family separation and like the detainment is not as bad as it sounds or that we think it is. Like, what's, what's... No, no, no. I, I didn't say it was not as bad as we think it is. It's pretty okay. horrific, man. But however, it it is a nice stick to wield over people to divide them, yeah? Oh well, yeah, of course it is. I mean, well, that's that's any any fascist government says like we can do this to this, this group of people, so that means we can do it to any other group of people. Certainly, right, right. But like, you know? I, I guess like what's the what's the if the caravan was not an organic sort of like um, crossing or an organic sort of thing that grew, what's the rationale for doing that? Or like what's, well, what's uh, again? It was it was right in tune with the 
midterm elections. You mean the 20, um, you said 2016 or 2018? Yeah, 26, uh, well, I'm sorry, 2018, sorry. I said 2016, my bad. Yeah. You okay. know, that's what it coincided with, man. And, uh, you know, everybody's in an uproar both ways, you know. So and, and it, it was a fulfillment, really, too, for Donald Trump of his bad people that in Mexico, blah blah, blah all that stuff. That was that was proof positive for for people who believe that, you know. And it's proof positive that he's a jerk for, for the other side, quote unquote, you know. And it was divisive as hell, man. Well, yeah, yeah, I guess. And, I mean, so then, do you think that you th like who do you think's behind the caravan? Then is my question. Well, I Mexico. Central American companies, uh, countries, us. I mean, at, at a at a certain level, you know, a lot of those, a lot of leaders in those countries are are educated here, man. Mm -hmm. You know, their connections their connections are with people in the, in America, not you know that that's and that's their interest. That those are, you know their interests lie with us, not with their own people. Their own countries wouldn't be so messed up, man. Well, yeah. So I mean, like our government has had a part in that, certainly. Uh, Absolutely, a oh, big part, big part, yeah. not not little part, big part. You know? I guess I guess to me it's like I'm not sure. Like I, I guess I'm not trying. I don't know. I, I'm not quite hooking on like the oddity of like people migrating over here in big numbers. Uh, even though like a coincides. Well, let's see. There's when Trump became president, uh, immigration or or that the people trying to cross the border. Illegals, if you will, it was at a fifty-year low. Yeah, fifty-year. I mean, what? Yes, of course, people try to get across the border, you know, and and seek refuge in some circumstances. Come here and come back and forth for work, which which has been done for a long time. Uh, get stuck down there and, and try to come back. You know, they have people here already. You know, established families sometimes. You know, but. Yeah, not not like this, man. You know, okay. this is you know this is a different thing. This is a different animal. I mean, immigration has been happening all you know from Mexico and Central America for quite some time. And yes, there are heinous gangs down there. Yes, there are cartels. You know, <laughs> where where you can't tell the military from the cartel uh, people. You know, I mean, I mean, yeah, it, yeah, it's not you know, it's not all love down there. That's for sure. You know, but at the same time, you know that that. We haven't been uh, graced with seeing tens of thousands of people walking across, you know, hundreds of miles to try to get here and have it be uh, televised 24-7, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, that could just be, like, also a result of, like, we just have more media and there's more impetus to televise everything and to broadcast everything, too. Like, I, I just – I don't know enough about, like – history in that in that regard of like i don't know if this has ever been if this has ever happened before of like thousands of people making their way well, um, if, there, if, if, if immigration was at a 50-year low then what what would cause people to have to to want to get out of their countries if, if we and if u.s is the is the puppeteer yeah then for you know at at at, at best or even created the conditions down there to make them come here well, even like like when you look at like Honduras, like a lot of the problems that we caused was part of the Obama administration. Like in 20, 2009, you know, uh, we were we had a part in destabilizing their society as well, and that's that's not that's like ten years ago. So uh, I mean, I can we, kind of we've been, we've been destabilizing Honduras since the fifties. Yeah, of course. Okay. 
Yeah, that, that's what, what I'm saying. It, it, it's never been it hasn't been stable for seventy years. But I'm, what I'm saying is that, like, I mean, even like our own sort of like uh, sticking our dick in there, like in 2009, can also have a pretty exponential effect in a way okay. that just doesn't. I mean, I think that that's that's my assessment of it. I mean, like, because it's like yeah, uh, okay, but that's that that goes that look. That's us doing that then, and that's them going along with that. And it's not, uh, it's not, it's not as if countries can't be self-sufficient mm-hmm. to some degree. It's, it's, you know, there certainly is going to be pushback. Of course, there is, but at the same time, man, you know, it, it, if if the people who are running the country are are patrons of another country that wishes them ill or, or likes to have them as 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 puppets, well that I, I think what we see is what has happened, you know. Um and uh you know there there are ideological concerns again, you know. Hmm. And and as you said a little a few minutes ago, you know, if we can do that with them, we can do that with other people too. Yeah. You know? I mean would would you say that sort of like the cruelty that's happening, like in regards to like the sort of conditions where they're being detained and the family separation, that okay, is that's, that's, that's not that's being exaggerated, awful. right? Exaggerated? No, I don't. It's not being. I don't think it's. I way likely that it's way underreported. Yeah, yeah. But but it's being reported enough to cause more division. You know, and to, to and it's and these are just also distractions, man. You know, we we have a, a, a uh, an administration that is just, they're grifters, man, and they're they're stealing every moment of the day. Oh, oh yeah, no, I agree with you. And all these things are this is just look the other way stuff, man. You know, I mean, I mean, <laughs> just focusing on Donald Trump himself, you know, it's just like the, the dude's always been how he became president just is insane to me because he's a known grifter. Yeah. You know, um, you know, I, whatever, <laughs> I, how, how is it possible that the, the hundreds of Polish men that he, he had demolished the, the site, uh, the building that was on the site that became Trump Tower, uh, that he settled out of court with him for a million dollars, 30% which went to lawyers he knows. Yeah. <laughs> so, they, you know, and I, how come we've never, no one's ever gone to Poland and had a talk about them? Mm-hmm. Sought them out and asked them about Donald Trump. How is that possible? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No? I know, you know, they're white Europeans, you know, shipped them, they got them here legally, shipped them on back, and nobody says boo. Right. You know, he didn't get put in prison for that. Yeah. Right, right. Well, I mean, also, <laughs> I mean, also like what we're seeing right now with like the ice raids. Um, you know, a... oh, yo, there you go, hey, Roy. There you go. That's perfect. Um, Steve King. You know, oh, representative. You know, right. Okay, but but Steve King's in his district. Who owns the biggest farm? Devin Nunez's family. Yeah. I didn't know that. Okay. And they've got illegals all over. I mean, it's illegal. They, they actually talk about uh, one of the towns. I, is it the town where the Nunez farm is? 
and talk about, you know, legals have come there and da-da-da, and they've helped them become, or get, not citizens, but get these, whatever, how, become legal, you know, and it's like, wait a minute, but they got there. Where, where are they coming from? Let's right. See, Devin Nunez is, uh, it has, is lording over a, a farmland, uh, area. And so, the, are these people coming from Mexico or California? Right. Are they coming from Devin Nunez's place to Iowa? Iowa, of all places? Yeah. You know, how come they have no ice raid there? Where's the ice raid? Right, right, yeah. And then also, yeah, and and now also, like, with the ice raid in Mississippi that happened this year, like, um, that was, they, that, those employees had, like, uh, they had sued Koch Fruit Foods, and so. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and, and like to connect that to like Donald Trump thing with the Polish workers, it's like, um, yeah, they're they're only targeting one group of people involved in this quote unquote illegal transaction. They're not ever going after the people who employed them, because no, like no, yeah, like if I hit somebody in my apartment that was not supposed to be here, I'd get arrested. Yeah, the conspiracy. You know, if, if if and if I if you told me on the phone, I'd be in jail for conspiracy. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you were. You know, thousands of miles apart, but I'd be in prison too, or jail, whatever. You know. Right. Right. Yeah. But uh, yeah, you can do that in in Midtown Manhattan, and it's okay. You know, you can do that on on a big farm in Iowa with a son who's a senator. Yeah. In in a, in, in our openly racist congressman's district, and nobody's in trouble. Right. Um. Yeah. I guess like. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's it's really insane, actually. Um, and uh, to circle back to like, uh, I just because I, I this is on my mind right now. It's I'm kind of circling back to an earlier part of our conversation here. Um, whenever uh, you were talking, like you were describing, like dealing with racism in school and private university, and just throughout life. In our last conversation, you talked about facing adversity for speaking out about race and racism and sports and anything else. Um, have you developed like a methodology in dealing with racism? Like, like is it like a sense of humor? Uh, is it just sort of like going to battle, fist fights with people? Like, how did you learn how to cope with racism? Uh, I don't know that I cope that well with. I don't know. I yeah, neither did I. I mean, you know, I don't think I don't think I cope well with it. I mean, it, it's a point of stress every time I go out away from the property I live on. Yeah, you know, um, and I've had some, you know, extra experiences happen that that are, you know, uh, that that inform that as well. So, you know, it, it, um, you know, my wife tells me to stop paying attention when you walk through a store with like with her. Sometimes, you know, it, it's hard for me to not see somebody look at me and frown. Sure. You know, if I'm with with our daughter in Whole Foods, and they're like they they look like like what? How did you get in here? You know, it's just like like yeah, yeah I see those things. I've always seen that kind of thing. Um, I, I I'd like to be aware rather than turn myself off. So that that's a problem. Sure. Um, you know I, I you know the the only thing that that really keeps me a lot is the fact that I know my family is indigenous to this land, you know, and I know that I can trace my family back to the 1500s, and that's before any European or, or uh, 
English person got here and did anything. Right. Uh, Spain, no Spanish people were, were sitting in Kansas and Nebraska and Missouri in the 1500s. You said Spanish? Huh? Or you said, who'd you say? We're, 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 there were no Spanish people. No Spanish people. You know, hanging out in Kansas and Missouri and Nebraska. Yeah. So, you know, that, that means that, you know, we've been here. We've been here. This is my place. Right. And that, that, that keeps me sane, knowing that I, you know, that, <laughs> that wow, this is mine, man. Yeah, you know, and and you know, reparations. They they owe they owe our family for twenty five hundred acres. Yeah, it's you know? it's interesting because like I think about this a lot because like I'm I'm a first generation uh, American. I was born here, but my parents were immigrants, and so like I think like there was sort of like this mentality of like with my my family's south, like Southeast Asian. You know, we're from like they were from okay. India, and so. Okay. Um, there's sort of like this mentality of like, okay, well, we've arrived here and um, you just got to put your head down and make it in this country. And it's right. almost like sort of like, it's almost like a sort of element of like, um, uh, you're kind of a guest here. So just, you know, you're kind of a, you know, you're lucky to be here, which is not untrue, but like, I mean, it's like you're get, but you know, you got to like, got to play by the rules. And so often that sort of means that, and you see this in a lot of, I'll, I'll just spill the tea on this. In a lot of Asian American uh, cultures, like it's very white mm -hmm. adjacent or white aspirational, uh, because, sure. because it's like your job is to assimilate and to accomplish, uh, you know, accomplish success within like the white paradigm, within like the but paradigm. It, Sorry, yeah. But it's really it, it's really interesting though that there, that you know there are Chinatowns, there's the Japan villages. There, it, yeah. it, it's not it's not an issue. For Asian people to have their own community, right? And and I've I've always found that I've always found that very curious. You know how, you know I mean I mean there are boroughs of in New York that are almost all Dominican, almost all Puerto Rican. You know, yep. and and but but the problem exists is when a black community wants to be black. Yeah. You know, and and so you know I understand the plight of I mean you know. Japanese people are interned here, okay? Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, Indian people, uh, Europe, uh, the history of Europe and India is sorted. It's oh, still God. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just like, uh, the, you know, the, all, all of all of Asia it is really, but, I mean, it's blue, yeah. you know? Um, you know, that just, I, 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 it's it's difficult to think about, you know, actually, you know, to, to because it's, I, yes, I have many concerns here, but if I just glance around the world, it's like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's not pretty, man. It's not pretty, you know. It's yeah. not pretty. You know, so, but, but, uh, you know, I, <sighs> you I mean, know, as we spoke between the last interview, you know, a couple of weeks ago, you know, this this place is I I I'm convinced that this place is always a a, a destination um, for what's happening now. There's always a wish to get to here. Yeah, you know, and and uh, you know, culturally, the people who are black people here are really different than than other people, and really more accommodating at it. If you're not actively selling out, all that's stripped that away. Just, just generally more welcoming, nicer people. 
Right. Um, and I'm not saying nicer than the, the Europeans who come here. That's that's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about any other you know peoples at all. You know, but and it's just it's amazing. It, it, I've read firsthand accounts of how you know uh, people coming here from Portugal and Spain and, and England, and they all talked about how welcoming the people were, how genuinely nice they were, how they were willing to show them, you know, da da da, and and to the point where I think it was Christopher Columbus's brother who actually kept his diaries was talking about how easy it, it is going to be to enslave them. <laughs> Wow, you know, you know, so, because they're so nice. They, hey, we can walk basically, walk them onto the ships or whatever. You know, it's just like we can yeah. take this over, no, no issues. So, um, yeah. so you're saying that like your lineage um, is of African descent? No, no, okay. we, there's, no, there's nobody from Africa in our family, man. Nobody, okay. and, so and and it's funny because of the, you know, when I think about it and. Have talked with other people, other black people. Nobody's talked about anybody slave uh, from Africa. But you're. Nobody, so, I don't know any black family that's talked about that. But your your uh, so like your lineage from the 1500s. They are black though, right? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, you know, and I, as we talked before, you know, you read accounts of the, those same diaries, and we're, we are called copper colored people. Uh-huh. Which you know, there's a you know copper penny. There's a range from like reddish to dark brown. Right. Um, there's a there's a set of uh, paintings that are in a series of churches in Germany, and they are paintings representing the four continents, and they're from the 1760s and 70s and early 80s, I think, early 1780s. And uh, the people there are Africans who are painted dark-skinned, European, uh, light-skinned, Asians who look somewhere between like North Africans and Asians, and America, as it's called, and uh, they look like us. So, um, you know, yeah. There's no white, no, no, no depictions of, of red people, quote-unquote, like, like the alleged, you know, $5 engines and their relatives. You know, right. no, none of that. None of that, man. You know, so, none of so, that. Everybody uh, looks like Afros and stuff, you know? Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, what was the source yeah. of this again? I'm sorry. I just want to write this down real quickly. What was the source uh, of this? There are churches in Germany. All the, the paintings I saw were from churches in Germany. And I, I can, I'll look it up. I cannot remember off the top of my head the names okay. of the churches, but I'll certainly, I'll certainly get those to you. Yeah. And it's, it, it's astounding. I, I mean, you know, um, a guy, there's a guy named John Ogilby, O-G-I-L-B-Y, who painted uh, indigenous Americans. And look at his paintings. Look at his depictions of, of us. They're, okay. they're not white people. They're not red people. They're black people. So like, there's there's sort of like this perception here in this country that black people only came from Africa through the slave trade. So you're saying that there yeah. are black people on the American continents before that, way before that, that weren't brought here. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I mean, absolutely. And and you know, again, it, it it it's I don't think it's rocket science to to see that it's a losing proposition to. Bring people here from Africa across the roughest seas in the world. Okay. I don't think I, I, you know, and 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 another thing about the 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 people uh, chained head to foot, you know, there there are no actual accounts of that. Those are all artist depictions. Literally so you think that's, depictions. 
Are you saying it that's be, Yeah, it's BS. Yeah, it's probably <laughs> because it doesn't make all, all of those people and, and, and not only are they defecating and peeing on each other and there's livestock defecating through the through the planks onto them, they're going through six, eight, ten foot waves. How how <laughs> you know, you're you're in the hull of a ship and you're flat on your back? And you survive, uh, you know. I mean, a lot of people. Ever... A lot of people didn't survive that, though. Well, 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 but it's not. Again, it's not good business. Well, most everyone dies. Most everyone dies. Okay. I, I can't. I've been in a this uh, a houseboat and a six seven foot wave, and it was like, whoa! I mean, I got seasick. I okay. got you know, and I was like, yeah. wow, this that's intense, man. That was intense. But like now, I guess if I, was, if I was chained, prone on my back in the hull of that ship or that boat, dude. Well, I guess like if if these slavers thought of these people as animals, and like if you were moving, say, livestock, uh, yeah, you might lose a few. But I I think a like few, a few. I mean, but or you know, I don't know how. I mean, you know, again, I I don't know enough about the geological patterns back then, but like. Um, you know, I can kind of see somebody just saying, like, okay, we'll lose a few of these slaves uh, on the way over here, but we'll have enough to uh, get some work done. I mean, to me, like, uh, the business, like, it doesn't make a lot of sense for Amazon to not give their employees breaks where they're peeing in bottles, you know. Uh, so it's sort of like, I mean, I don't think it's always like, I don't, I don't know that I always accept that argument of, like, you know. Uh, but Amazon's making a profit. Sure. Well, and the slavers were too. I mean, so. well, there's there's no profit if everybody's dead getting off your shit, or actually nobody's getting off your shit, or you know maybe five people out of a whatever. Okay. You know, you know, and I don't know if you ever went to slavevoyages.org and looked and and saw how many slaves were bought here in a 365 year period, but it averages out to 701 people a year from Africa. Okay. So and that's, that's not many. Bringing farms or no? That's not, that's not, and, and you're bringing them to a place where they don't know the land. What? What? How are they cultivating land they don't know? So are you white saying people that, teaching, white people didn't teach people how to cultivate the land here? Right. The people who were here did. They taught them. Okay. So are you saying that maybe like slavery in America was primarily the black people who were already indigenous to the continents here? Yeah, yeah, that's I mean and and it's it's noted in the northeast. It's no they talk about the wars in, in the northeast previous to the declaration of independence time, that era, and and talk about enslaving those people. You know, they talk about ships going from Newport, Rhode Island and taking them down to the Bahamas. Yeah. Because they kept escaping and when they thought they caught them, they would take them there because they couldn't escape. Right. So those those islands are populated with us too. So no, no, I'm not saying everybody, but no, the majority of people brought from Africa that I know of, that from my research and my just not, and I hate to say research, just curiosity, they were taken to South America, man, and, and that South American route is the the kindest travel that you can make from Europe. You go down to Africa, to the west coast of Africa, and you continue south around to to South America, south and east to South America. So okay. south and west, I'm sorry, to, to South America. And the 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 seas, they're gentle now, just as they were then. And there, there's a route way up north that 
you go from Europe north and across, and those seas are gentle as well. They're cold as heck, but they're gentle compared to anything remotely uh, expedient business-wise, which, which would be straight across the ocean. Okay. So you know, they are compared comparatively gentle. For for people listening to this podcast who want to learn more about this, is there like a source or something that you could point them towards? I mean, I know we have Google, but like I'm just sort of maybe something a little bit well. Well, a lot of it is exists on Google. The documents exist on Google. Slave voyage. Start with slavevoyages.org and look at look look at the totals of people okay. who are brought where. And 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 just think about it logically, man. Not, you know, not not. Jeez, think about it according to business rules, basic business rules. Think about it as far as 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 logistics. Think about it as far as agriculture. You know, you you wouldn't bring foreign people to your land to to cultivate anything if they don't know what the hell they're doing. If they don't know the land, Uh and you can't teach them the land, you can't teach them. They don't know, so everybody dies, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or you know, a few people survive if they're lucky, you know. But no, that's not what happened. You know, the, the, how how did those people bring back tobacco? They they come here in 1609, and in 1614 they're going back to England with tobacco because they got taught how to cultivate the tobacco. Then they had a war, and then they they took their land and took it back, and then they had another longer war for all the land. And where's tobacco grown today? Right. Who ta- who taught them? Africans? <laughs> no. Sure. Um, yeah. Okay. I mean that. Well. Uh, yeah. So, so like for anyone listening, uh, certainly like uh, I think like this is just like kind of because we've been taught a certain narrative. Yeah. I believe for it all ever. You know. <laughs> you know. Until I found out, I, I got a hold of my ancestor ancestry, and you know, and and. When I went to school in Minnesota, my mother said something very cryptic to me. She said, you know, Dave, and I wasn't on scholarship like I was when the first time I went to college. She said, Dave, you know you can go to college for free. I was like, I laughed. I was like, okay, Mom. She's like, no, no, you're Native American. I was like, yeah, okay, Mom. But, you know, I was like trying to get off the phone because I was like, God, she's tripping, dude. And I never thought about it. I never thought about it, you know, for 20 years. I didn't think about it. Hmm, Okay. and well, and it turns out that you know, I asked her. She said, "Ah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe there was somebody from the Congo." I'm like, "Mom, seriously, where, where where can I get a hold?" You know, and she told me what cousin has our stuff. I got contacted him, and I got I got, I got copies. You know, I got proof. Sure. You know, you know, I got proof that that there were 2,500 acres that were stolen on my mom's side that were stolen, stolen mm-hmm. by force. And uh, the place is called Perry, Kansas. The guy's name was Perry, and there's a railroad being built through there. And they, he had early warning about it or knowledge, and got that land with uh, and sold the other three parcels that were ours to friends of his. There are four municipalities and it's 2,500 acres now. We had a cattle ranch and orchards on that land. We also had orchards in Missouri, but that that person got killed. And uh, they were taken over by White, and uh, he, he was murdered for his money. And his wife took the money, though they didn't know she had it. She took his children, took their children and herself to her sister's ranch in Kansas. Right. And, uh, you know, we've had that land for a long time. We had it for a long time. Okay. You know? 
And so, uh, yeah. And that's just, that's just, that's just my mom's side. That's not my father's side because they had a, a huge corn farm and I don't, I honestly got, I don't know how long, but they were well established people. Right. In Hastings, Nebraska. So, not, you know, okay. if I, if reparations, give me the 2,500 acres that you owe. That's <laughs> right. what I want. Right. You know, I don't care about the money. Give me the land. I'll do, I'll go from there. So, um, I guess like, um, I want to kind of circle back to something you were talking about, like accommodation of like white people and, or like sort of like being accommodating towards like, you know, oppressors even or possible oppressors. Um, cause like you still see that a little bit today. Like I, we were talking about like sort of like the extreme cases, like the Candace Owens and people like that, but like, yeah, like Jay Z kind of like laughing about, uh, what the NFL, I, I mean, like, I know like there's a profit for him to be, he's, it's not sure. sure. Um, that just sort of seems to be like a constant thing. Like when you look at Oprah's career, um, it's sort of like designed for white women, you know? Yep. Uh, well, yeah, it's playing a game, you know, it's, it, it's, uh, we don't live in our own world. I mean, we don't have, there's no black community per se. So, yeah. uh, whose game are you going to play? Right. Ours or theirs? We, you know, ours is not usually not a good end. You know, yes, you can do that, but it's super difficult, and you will face obstacles constantly, and people mm-hmm. trying to put roadblocks, or you play their game and right. work within their system. And it's not accommodating as in, oh, I'm nice to white people because they're okay. No, it's like, God, these people are evil, but i got to do this to make it at all, and I have ambitions, and so I have to play the game. Right. Well, I guess like, um, yeah, that's certainly, I, and I, like, those are two examples where like we can sort of see like that these people are playing the game well, and there's obviously like a profit incentive there. And, um, we talked last time, we talked last time in 2013 about like just, you know, black people, people of color having a Stockholm syndrome sort of, um, uh, yeah, learning, learning to love your oppressor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah, there's um, that, there's that for sure, you know, there's that for sure. That, I, I, I think it it vacillates through years of time. I, I it seems like right now we're in an in between period, like the the late eighties, the the late seventies to late eighties for sure. There was seemed like there was an awakening, and then that was purposely stifled out. You know, look at look at rap, look at. Uh, Look at rap music. Yeah. You know, look at the change from hip hop to rap to oh, gangster yeah. rap to gangster rap. You know, people extolling the virtues of selling cracks to people's moms. You know? Yeah. You know, <laughs> and look at hip hop before that, and people were talking about themselves and and where they thought they came from and what they thought their societies were like and what their society here could be because of that. And all is uh, you know consciousness, conscious movement, and it got it got it was devolved, you know, <laughs> and just exterminated, and it and it didn't recover for a while, and I, and in the last few years, maybe ten, beginning around ten years ago, um, you start to see more and more at that time younger people start to awaken again. Yeah, you know, um, and surely you know within. I, I, it's it's really sad to me that that we have to use uh, entertainment as markers 
Sure. You know, people are talking about, oh, Aaliyah died. It just It was so sad for the black community. What? Yeah. yeah it, that's, it's a sad event for the black community? A, right. a, a, a pop singer died, a R&B singer died in a, in a plane crash. And, yeah, her music was good, you know, or whatever. You know, I mean, however, you know, people, some people don't like it, whatever. But for the black, com- the black community. Right. You know, I mean. Sure, <laughs> sure. You know, every every U every black U.S. senator and there are 27 of them died. But that that would be glad bad for the black community. That you know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. You know, the owners of the five biggest black cor- owned corporations died. Yeah, that's bad. Right. You know. Yeah. You know, black black town got got hit by a tornado or whatever. That's bad. Right. <laughs> sure. Aaliyah is not. <laughs> Yeah, you know, that's just like a a syndrome of like everything else in America. Like what we were talking about earlier, how like everything's just kind of being flattened into like this one little chip now of like. But it it that's been happening for a while, man. And yeah. and you could point to that that the crack epidemic and the music that came out, the entertainment that came out of it, right? The attitude that came out. I got to get mine attitude. Oh yeah, that came out of it, and and not not just from the you know. Uncle Tom's and Auntie Tomettes, they they have and always will exist. Okay, but but general community, you know. Yeah. General, you know. <sighs> you know, I I mean, you're selling drugs to your own people. Look, man, the Italians don't didn't sell drugs to their own people. The Irish weren't doing that. Jewish people right. weren't doing that when they came here. They sold the drugs to us. Yeah. You know, I mean, think of, and we're selling drugs to each other. You know, if there are people from India with with loads of hashish and loads of opium, y'all wouldn't be selling drugs to each other. You know, Asians yeah. don't do that. People don't do that. You know, right? You know, it's it's really. I mean, that's that's part of the Stockholm syndrome. You know, love of the oppressor and hate for yourself, man. Hate of yourself. Right. Right. It, yeah. Um. And um, we're, I'm going to wrap up a little bit here because we've been on for sure, a while. Sure, sure. Yeah, um, yeah, we have, yeah. I just want to touch on something that we also talked about in 2013 about your supernatural paranormal experiences. Um, and, like, you mentioned a few of them. Or you mentioned a couple. You described a couple of them, and anyone can go listen to that. And um, you mentioned that they stopped at some point. Uh, and we're, yeah, they seem to slow, yeah, they slowed down greatly. A, a few things have happened since and, and since 2013. You know, uh, yeah, and and uh, fortunately, again, in in plain view with other people, you know, at least one other person, you know, um, and but but not certainly not with the same frequency as, as it used to happen. You know, um, I mean, it, it was a kind of a, a cloud that hung over me too, you know, yeah. it's just, you know, it, it's something you can't ever normalize, you know, so. Well, so do you, but, do you can you describe an, an incident since I last talked to you? Uh, or if you don't have to, I mean. I'm yeah, just... it, it, you know, it happened in, in basically in downtown Austin, not downtown, but uh, central Austin on my porch. And I'm sitting there with my neighbor and we're looking up in the air and, we saw something that was really odd. <laughs> Don't buy it. It was like, what the? And, it, and the thing was, it wasn't that high over the trees either. And it was something pulling, looked like it was pulling a, a helicopter. But there was no line between them. And the, when the thing banked, the helicopter banked on this 
obtuse angle. I'm like, we were looking at it going, oh, it's going to crash. And and my friend said, where's the sound? My neighbor's like, what? We were like, yeah, what? And and it's funny, all like a lot of people walk, take walks and walk down that street. And we looked around and nobody was there as this was happening. Literally like 30 seconds later, six people came walking up the street from various, you know, uh, other streets, you know, it's like, wait, you know, we were just like baffled. So yeah, okay, so I told the story as much as I want to. So, but yeah, okay. yeah. And do you That's think that the last, you know, oddity. Okay. And do you think that any of this activity, uh, is in working in cooperation with like these sort of systems of oppression that we've been talking about today? Sure, sure. You know, there, that there, there is science, no science. There's beyond science. There's stuff beyond our knowledge, you know. Um, the government is known to be somewhere between at least 25 to 50 years ahead of us, what we know publicly or have okay. access to. Uh-huh. And I, I, you know, I, it's far enough ahead that that if we saw some of it, we wouldn't believe what we saw. Okay. You know that that they proje- projected. Uh, who did they? How was it? Jesus or some kind of apparition of like something angelic or godlike figure in the Middle East. That was during yeah. the Iraq War, you know, and it's like, I mean, geez, they've been doing that for a while, man, you know, and, uh, you know, if you think about it, no one knows what happened to Nikola Tesla's papers. Oh, okay. You know, no, no one, no one, and if you want to go back to ancient people, uh, were the pyramids, called monumental structures, so many were built on energy lines, Earth's energy lines. Was this a system? Was this a global system of energy? Hmm. You know, what, why were the cats knocked off of pyramids in Egypt? You know, you know, it, I mean, <clears throat> in Mesoamerica, they're, they're circular buildings or oval buildings. And no one thinks about these, a pyramid having that's oval. But they exist, you know, and, right. and I've walked, I've walked through them and, and the, the kind of alleyways and you can literally, it, they channeled the wind and it's like, wait a minute, that's not, you know, it, it was like a, it created a vortex and it was obviously purposely built. Yeah. You know, it's just like, what, what, what knowledge did we have then? Right. You know, and then globally, not here in America only or Central America, whatever. No, globally, because South America's full of ruins. Europe's full of ruins. Africa's, Northern Africa, certainly in well, what they call the Middle East, is full of, you know, uh, do we have a global system? Okay. Okay. Is that, is that part of, you know what I'm saying? You know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, I, yeah, I, I don't know I, enough I about to, that stuff, yeah. You know, I tend to think that could be true just having stood on a pyramid as uh on the the uh geez, summer solstice and stood on a pyramid where there are three pyramids in front of it smaller ones mm-hmm. and the sun comes right over the middle one right to where I'm standing on top of the single one across from them and uh there's the fall or what is it? spring and winter equinoxes spring equinox same thing it, but on the on not the middle one but the one to its left, I can't, God, I can't even think of the directions anymore. But right. not due east, west, but yeah, it came right over that. And so I could only, 
imagine that the winter solstice, it comes over the, the other one. So <laughs> directly right. over the Pyramid Rock. It's like, oh, boy. You know, okay. these are people, people that archaeologists say did not have the concept, have a concept of the wheel. I stood on the main pyramid at a place called Chunan Tanich with the principal investigator of the project looking down across the plaza at a smaller pyramid with this a perfectly you... round altar. Yes, this is when I was working in Belize in school. <clears throat> and he looked at me and said, ah, oh, that's beautiful. That beautiful altar's round. Too bad they did have concept of the wheel. I'm like, I'm like, and I looked at him and said, but we're, we're looking at a round altar. He's like, oh, but we've never found a, a wheel. I'm like, and I'm thinking to myself, what? It's made out of wood. It's the rainforest. Stuff decomposes like 99 miles an hour. So <laughs> what are you trying to say? You know? I mean, I mean, they they had this, you know, the ball game, rubber balls. We, I, you know, it's not like a whole lot of rubber balls have been found. So they decompose too. So wh- wh- how could you possibly say that? Uh huh. You know? I mean. <laughs> But but if you're trying to make make the past look primitive, that's what you would say, for sure. Hmm. Okay. If you're trying to cheapen the people who and their accomplishments, so that you and your people are right. the height of civilization, then that's what you do. Right. Yeah. You know, you primitivize everyone else. I mean, and that's what's happening today. Where look, you know, black people are seen as primitive today. Right. You know, how, how many times, I don't know, you know, I've seen so many Twitter threads, uh, could you please speak proper English? It's like, what? <laughs> As they spell your, why, you are, you know, why, yeah, of course. Why are It's like, come on, duh, whoa. You know, and it's like, seriously, man? You know, but yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, well, so, DK, I think our time is up here. Um, all right, man. Uh, your Twitter handle, which is at DK Wilson Island. That's all one word. Yeah, it still is. And do you have anything else to plug or any other uh No nah, man, no. Nah. Okay. I'm, I'm not I'm not selling anything. <laughs> All right, right on. Well, right well, on. You're pushing anything, so but uh I really enjoyed the conversation, boy. Me um, too, me too. Thank you for calling in. I really appreciate you taking the time yeah. to Well, uh, thanks for reaching out to me. I appreciate that. You know, most of my stuff is forgotten it. And I, I will say one thing about uh sports goggles, which is uh it was sports on my mind that my previous blog uploaded um, after I closed the site from 2000, let's see, 9, 10, 11, 9, 10, 11, uh, all the entries are missing because they will not upload onto WordPress. My former webmaster uh, is really accomplished. He, he, he revamped the sports section of a major uh, search engine. Okay. Um, and he was had been my webmaster, and he, I emailed him and called him up and we talked. And he's oh, I could do it. He couldn't upload them. And those three years have the most the most incendiary writing for sure. And some of the things that that uh, that that I wish had had uh, were, were available for people to read. But it's the really the core years of of sports on my mind, and it, it makes perfect sense that I can't upload them. <laughs> oh, interesting. Is there any other way of like do like a Twitter thread of them or something, or uh, I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I I I mean I I think if I went on, 
if I if I took I'd have to take the time to copy and paste them unformatted, reformat yeah. them, re you know, and sure. I just you know I, I just I can't I can't okay it's, it, I mean and and I just I was looking for something just recently um, about auto racing and I found an article called the Na- that I written a commentary called the NASCARification of America uh-huh. and. Uh, I, it was like a 2,000-word piece, and I looked at the date, and it said June 25th, uh, 2012, or I think it's 2012, 1.59 a.m., and I'm like, what? That's my birthday. I was up at 2 in the morning on my birthday writing that piece. That's how much I wrote. Right. You know, it, I mean, you know there are 6,000 entries on that thing. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and three well, years worth of time. I hope you can find them and... Like you have them, you just can't share them, basically, online. Yeah, like I said, yes, I have the file, you know, okay. but I, yeah. format, yeah, and all that. God, yeah. Okay. So, I hope you find a way of doing that. Yeah, but uh, anybody who wants to find a portion of my stuff, it's at sportsgoggles.wordpress.com. So sportsgoggles.wordpress.com. Okay, I will. Let me just write that down. I will put that into the uh, uh, sports. Uh, Sports goggles, yeah, all one word. Sports goggles dot com. WordPress dot com. Yeah, yeah, I will put that in the description, the show notes below. And uh, for listeners of this podcast, you can follow me on Twitter at Civil Podcast. That's one word. Uh, we have the Facebook page and email paradoxcivility at gmail dot com. That's all going to be in the show notes. Um, and we are having this interview on September 11th, 2019. I just forgot to mention that date at the beginning of the show. Yeah, yeah, I, I know. I was thinking about that, and I totally forgot. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I didn't. I I think like I put it out of my head. Um, I'm still here in New York, and uh, right, right. The sort of uh, September 11th, the way that it's been commemorated uh, over the years has been a little disgusting, and um, yeah. I just kind of don't want to talk about it. Um, it's, uh, it's, I totally uh, understand, man. to get through now. I mean, now it's here, and I was living here on September 11th also, so... Um, oh, wow. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Well, so, you, you, if, if you ever want to talk about that, I'd love to hear. So if you want to call me sometime and, and talk about that, yeah, I'd love to yeah. talk with you about that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, not tonight, but, um, uh, no, 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 sometimes, sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, we'll definitely keep in touch and, uh, um, right, GK, thank you so much. This was great. Thank you for a great conversation. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Roy, for remembering who the heck I am and everything. So I, I really appreciate that too. Absolutely.